All right, welcome back. You're listening to an all new episode of the Seven Generation Podcast. It's been a while since my last episode. I've been really busy. Been um, all over the place. Spent some time in Arizona. I was out at uh, San Carlos and Oak Flat. Uh, kind of get back to that story in a second. Uh, spent a little bit of time up in the Bay Area as well. Um, a lot has happened uh, the last month or so. So let's see, where do I start here? Um, well, I did go to Arizona and I went out to Oak Flat to a um, an event um, to support the San Carlos Apache who are fighting Resolution Copper, which is the largest... Um, uh, mining corporation in the world. I think they're based out of Australia and they are set to begin uh, one of the most destructive um, mines in the area, which is sacred to the Apache, um, the San Carlos Apache people specifically. So we went out there to support them. Um, we had a discussion with the um, Winsler Nosy and um, uh, Nailing Pike, uh, people I have a ton of respect for. Um, they are just uh, incredible people. And uh, they're uh, looking to protect their sacred homelands from this really destructive um, form of mining. So basically what they want to do, Resolution Copper wants to go in, and they've been given the okay. Again, the, the Apache are fighting this. But they've been given the okay to go into uh, the area, which is sacred to the Apache, and basically destroy it, basically blow a gigantic hole, a hole so big that you could fit the Eiffel Tower in it. So um, pretty much uh, will destroy the area. And again, if you've ever been out to Arizona, you know it's beautiful. Um, this part of Arizona is really amazing. It's incredible. And you you, you ride out there, if you take a drive out there, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful area. But you can see where they've done other mining, and it's just absolute devastation. So, And what people don't realize is that the Indian Wars um, have uh, been waged since 1492, and they continue to be waged even here in 2021. Um the Indian Wars are a little different today. It's typically tribes who are fighting to protect their sacred homelands, whether it be uh, Standing Rock, uh, fighting um, the pipeline, <clears throat> or uh, your traditional Hawaiians who are fighting uh, the telescope, um, uh, which is uh, set to be constructed um, on top of uh, Mauna Kea. They already have telescopes there, but they want to build another telescope. And of course, uh, Oak Flat. These uh, Indian Wars are all over the Western Hemisphere. And um, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you know that for Native Americans, for us, the land is not only sacred, all of the earth is sacred, but there's certain places that are very important to our spirituality, our religion. They're called sacred places. And we go to these places in many cases to hold ceremonies. They could be places where um, our ancestors migrated to, places where the highest spirits dwell, right? 
But of course, in a society where money um, rules the day, um, the earth is just a mere resource. And for Native Americans who have a traditional outlook, who have um, a spiritual outlook, uh, the land is not a resource, right? We've developed these special, or not, I wouldn't say specially sacred covenants, these relationships that have developed over, you know, thousands and thousands of years of living in one area for such a long time and developing these really sacred relationships with our homelands. And so when you destroy the earth, you're destroying a culture. And that's something that a lot of people just don't understand. Um, And of course, it's all about money, unfettered capitalism at its worst, right? The earth becomes a mere resource. And you can see the devastation all around uh, the world. Uh, Capitalism uh, provides us with a lot of toys, a lot of uh, gadgets and whatnot, but also provides us with a lot of pollution, a lot of destruction. And if the land um, is just viewed as a mere resource, you can see how um, capitalism uh could just be absolutely devastating to the landscape. And you may not even care. You may not even really worry about it. Uh, But if you're from the land, if uh, your ancestors fought to allow you to be here today so that you could live freely on the land, if your culture is tied to the land, if your religion, your spirituality, your way of life is tied to the land, then... um, you're going to do everything you can do to protect your homelands. So that's what uh, the Apache people are doing. So I went out there to throw some support to them. Um, I also participated in a fundraiser um, out in the Bay Area. We raised some money uh, for uh, the Indian Health Center of Santa Clara Valley. So that was really cool. I was really happy to participate in that. Raised about $7,000 for some youth programs. That was great. Got to get out a bit and see the Bay um, I was able to take a ride over the Golden Gate Bridge, which was cool. Um, and let's see what else. Uh, well, I had a good discussion with uh, Professor John Cho uh, recently, and that's what this podcast really is all about. Uh, but before we get to that, I just want to remind everybody um, that I do have a Patreon set up, and I have a couple uh, Patreon supporters. Um, we have Lucy. How you doing, Lucy? This is a shout out to you. Uh, Lucy is a really amazing person, really cool individual, and um, just want to thank you for your support. Um, and of course, my good friend Vianne, I uh, just want to say thank you for your support. Vianne is just one of the best people I've ever met, uh, trains at my gym, and just a very supportive person. So shout out to Lucy and Vianne. Um, and again, if you want to become a Patreon, you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. You can head over to Patreon. You can uh, access that through the show notes. And if you're looking to reach out to us here, um, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, just go ahead and plug in uh, 7th Gen Podcast, and you'll find us, the 7th Generation Podcast. We are on Instagram. Um, that's about it. I think I have my email in the show notes as well. So if you want to shoot, shoot me an email, you can do that too. All right. So on to our episode, let's kind of set it up here. So I had a discussion with professor John Cho, who is the head of the Asian American studies program at Fresno city college. 
Uh, he was the chair of the cultural and women's studies program um, out at Fresno City as well for a number of years. Uh, he was instrumental in helping me develop Yokuts Plaza, which is a monument dedicated to the Yokuts and the Mono people, uh, which are your, your local um, communities, indigenous communities here of the San Joaquin Valley. And um, he's also a really good friend of mine, uh, really a great mentor. He's helped me out quite a bit over the years. And he agreed to be on the show. Um, and the discussion was mostly around um, uh, his upbringing, um, being raised here in the United States um, as an Asian American, how he found his way to um, Asian American studies and ethnic studies. And of course, we get into the, the main topic, which is uh, the hate crimes, the rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans. So uh, we really get into that quite a bit, and that's really what the show is all about. Here in Fresno County, um, where I work, where I live, Asians make up about uh, 10.5% of uh, the population. Um, we have a very, very diverse um, Asian population. People are Chinese, um, Southeast Asian, Laotians, Hmong. We have a lot of Hmongs uh, who uh, relocated here, um, uh, Cambodians, um, pretty much from all over Asia. Uh, we have a lot of um, Pacific Islanders as well. And unfortunately, what we've seen, at least some of the reports, um, the Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council um, I believe in received in the last year um, between March 2020 and February 2021, they received nearly 4,000 reported incidents of racism. Again, we're talking about everything from verbal abuse, uh, verbal uh, insults to physical assaults, um, and even murder as well. Um, so this rise in Asian hate crimes uh, due to, in, at least in part, at least according to the United Nations and a report that they put out um, last August, um, you know, their argument that there is a correlation, um, you know, between the rise in attacks against Asian Americans um, and the comments made by the former president, Donald Trump, um, basically, you know, legitimizing and and normalizing the racism and the xenophobia against people from China and calling it the China virus, the Kong flu, Kong flu and, and so forth. So uh, these uh, inflammatory uh, statements, especially coming from the top of society, tend to filter down and, and it tends to become more acceptable. And I think that's what we've seen. <clears throat> and even some of my Asian students, sadly, right before the pandemic, um, really ramped up here in the United States when we went to shelter in place. I recall many of my Asian students telling me that, hey, you know, we are being um, uh, insulted by people when we go out in public. You know, random people are saying stuff to us about this this uh, this virus. And um, I could see this was going to this is going to be a problem. Um, so this is uh, the topic that we get into. Uh, I think it's a really important topic. Again, I've been wanting to do this for a while now and John Cho, he's really the perfect person to have this conversation with. So anyway, we did it over zoom. 
we didn't do it face to face. We did over Zoom. So there are um, a couple. You know, you know, how Zoom is a little minor glitches. So uh, bear with us. But the the content is really really good. Um, and I just want to say, you know, I stand with um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Um, and I, I really, I you know, I call on everybody to really take a stand against racism and any type of prejudice. If you see it, call it out. Um, if you are Asian, um, please be careful out there. Um, you know, this type of um, racism really has no place uh, in our society, in our culture. Um, but there's a lot of work to do because... Um, uh, racism is real. It's uh, uh, very damaging to the lives of um, people across the country, people across the world as well. And so since this pandemic has hit, however, the Asian American community has really felt a tremendous amount of pressure. And um, they really do need our support. So I hope that uh, share the episode with people. Um, please take the content um, and feel free to pass it on to your friends, family members. Um, this is going to be the first podcast that I do on um, Asian Americans, and I'm going to be doing a couple follow-up episodes with John Cho as well. Uh, I want to get into uh, more specifics about the different um, groups from Southeast Asia who have relocated here to the United States, uh, specifically here to uh, the Fresno um, area as well. Uh so, um, I think there's just a lot of, um, misunderstanding when it comes to the Asian American community. So, you know, I'm going to try to educate myself a bit more and educate the listeners as well. So anyway, enjoy the show. I hope you get a lot from it. I appreciate everybody out there who's listening, who's sharing the, the, um, the podcast It's doing really, really well. Um, I know I haven't been all that consistent with the episodes, but, uh, there's going to be a few more coming. I'm going to have, um, my third life rule uh, will uh, be coming real soon as well. I already have an idea for that. And be on the lookout for future episodes. All right. I hope you guys enjoy the show. All right. I'd like to welcome Professor John Cho, um, Asian American Studies. Uh, instructor at Fresno City College. How you doing, John? Welcome to our show. Uh, I'm good. So, hello, everybody. This is recorded. I'm so used to saying hello, everybody. Uh, so, go ahead. So, um, Professor Cho, uh, you've worked at Fresno City College uh, for a number of years. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how um, you started your tenure at Fresno City College and a little bit about the work that you do there at the college? Uh, okay. Um, I've been teaching at uh, Asian American Studies at Fresno City College uh, for about 20 years now. Uh, I was uh, adjunct instructor for about eight years before then. So it's pushing 30 years. Not quite, but close. And is it true that you helped create um, the Asian American Studies program there at the college? Uh, the Asian American Studies program? Yes. You helped create it at the college? Uh I feel I did. Uh, when I first started teaching here, uh, there was just one class, uh, Asian American One, which was titled the Indo-Chinese Americans. Uh, even as an adjunct, uh, I introduced the class, uh, Introduction to, to Asian Americans. Uh, 
got it articulated with Fresno State, uh, added in uh, other classes. Uh, not all the classes. I, I, I did not add the, the Monk culture class in, uh, but I put in one on Asian American uh, social issues. And I actually taught an Asian American uh, literature class for, for a couple of semesters. And uh, really popular over the last few years is the Chinese culture class. Excellent. Excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you were born and, um, you know, where you went to school? Just a little information, just a little bit about your, your history. Uh, sure. Uh, I was born in the, the 1950s, uh, 1952 to, to be exact, uh, in San Francisco. Uh, I actually lived in uh, Chinatown till I was about five years old. Uh, then my family, uh, moved to Visaya. We lived there for three years, a couple of years in Hanford, and then uh, moved to Selma. And the reason we moved to Selma is because my parents, uh, they rented a restaurant, Chinese restaurant. Uh, they named it Cho's Kitchen. Uh, eventually, they moved out uh, that building because the, the owner wanted to, to build a car wash. And, and so they established another Cho's Kitchen where they bought the building. And so I, I grew up kind of like in Selma. Uh, my schooling is primarily in uh, Fresno State. Uh, I got a BA in geography, uh, a master's in uh, urban regional planning, and then uh, went back to get a BA in chemistry. And so if you're wondering how come I'm teaching uh, Asian American studies, because uh, it's something I relate to. And at community colleges, they have what's called equivalency and I so happen to have nine units of observation classes in Asian American studies. And so uh, Asian American studies for me, it's, it's easy to, uh, to relate to because uh, a lot of times, uh, even though I'm much older than my students, uh, if you're second generation and your parents are first generation, meaning they grew up in an Asian country, uh, you're kind of like uh, in between two worlds uh, one world of the traditional Asian perspective and also uh, growing up in American society. Uh, so that's a little bit on my background. Excellent. Excellent. So I just want to kind of jump right into uh, some of the, the issues that have been um, going on in the Asian community um, throughout the past uh, year or so. And um, I want to talk a little bit about this concept of scapegoating uh, I wanted you to, to touch a little bit on that and some of the comments that uh, our former president, Trump, made concerning uh, COVID-19. Just wanted okay. to get your thoughts. Uh, one thing that really uh, irritates me in, in general, uh, the idea of uh, scapegoating. In other words, uh, to blame other people. And I think when a person blames other people, uh, they get a crowd behind them. Uh, they're angry. And how people see it is uh, a lot of times it's uh, unwarranted. Uh, it's unfair. Uh, the prime example I would use, uh, since you're talking about our former president, uh, Donald Trump, uh, let me just refer to him as Donald Trump. So in uh, March of last year, for us, this was pretty much kind of like the beginning of COVID-19. You know, there's some cases, I don't think very many people had died, 
And then uh, this idea, we had to do a certain lockdown for a few weeks. And even on our campus, the initial thing, when we went uh, virtual, uh, we did it on the Friday, which was basically after the Thursday that Fresno State went virtual or they went, you know, online. And so if we think back to then, you know what I mean? Uh, during this last year uh, with Donald Trump, uh, he would refer to it as the China virus. Okay. Well, I mean, his uh, reasoning is it's the China virus because that's where it's from. It's from China. Well, there's a big problem with that, Bernard, in the sense that other people are saying, ah, I'm suffering. I've had to change my life. And it's because of China. Do people make, distinguish whether a person's from China or whether a person's American born? Do they distinguish like one Asian person from another Asian person? I would say generally speaking, no. You know, so if somebody gets on a soapbox and say, the reason we're suffering is because of China and you have a grievance, where's your grievance or anger directed towards? China. And so that's the idea for me of scapegoating. Uh, if we wanted to draw a parallel to this, and I've, I've gone with you to the Museum of, to uh, you know, in Torrance, the Museum of Tolerance that we went down to. Uh, one thing that really stuck out in my mind uh, is the propaganda you know, like for hate groups. And I remember that one cartoon there. Uh, well, I remember this thing too, but the psychology of the cartoon uh, had like nice, clean-cut uh, Germanic youth and saying, pointing the finger at that ugly Jewish guy. Or they didn't say ugly, but, you know, caricature of a Jewish guy, meaning like if we have problems, is because of the Jews. You know what I mean? And look what happened in, in, in Germany. You know what I mean? If you point your finger at somebody, you know, you have so many, I would say, I have no idea what the numbers are, kind of like mentally unbalanced people that pick up on that. It, it would be almost like when that shooter, uh, I don't recall exactly all the details, uh, was it El Paso? Uh, Texas in the Walmart uh, that he went to shoot up people. Dude, I'm just going to Walmart just to shop. Like, I haven't read the details about the shooting today or, or so forth. But when this guy says, oh, well, it's something similar. Like, these people are, I, I can't recall exactly, rapists or they're invading. You know what I mean? So, in other words, maybe they have that thought, but it's almost like when somebody points it out, blame. You know, for whatever issues or problems they have, they want to direct it at that group or at what they conceive as a member of that group. So I think it's very dangerous to point a finger of blame. 100%. Well, it, it, it sounds like I'm blaming Donald Trump, so <laughs> so maybe I'm being a little hypocritical about that. Yeah. But generally speaking, I say let's, let's not blame groups of people.
Yeah, I, I, I don't. I would say that you're. I don't think you are being hypocritical. I think it's very dangerous. Scapegoating can lead, and history shows us this. And I think you you provided a, a really solid example of how scapegoating can lead to violence, and the dehumanization of certain groups of people, which could lead to you know some really just abhorrent behavior, and we've seen that recently. So I wanted to. Um, to jump into uh, this idea of stereotyping, specifically stereotyping in the Asian community. Now, the stereotypes of Asians have been around for a long time. So maybe we can start off with first, you know, defining and in in, give us your definition of, of stereotyping. And then maybe you can talk a little bit about the history of stereotypes uh, against uh, Asian Americans here in the United States. Um, well, I would say there's probably uh, two relatively current and, and popular stereotypes uh, dealing with Asian people. Uh, one is the perpetual foreigner, uh, meaning that you're always seen as a foreigner. Uh, you could be born here. Your parents could be born here. Uh, if you're in an area that doesn't have many Asian people, uh, you might run across, uh, boy, you speak English really well. And your retort or answer is, well, shouldn't I? I grew up here. Shouldn't I speak English well? that type of thing, uh, they might be seen as kind of like very clannish overachievers. Uh, they try to do really well. Uh, they don't mix with other people. They only stick with their own group or own kind. Uh, these would be current uh, stereotypes uh, along with others. Um, I think uh, interesting about like in the past, uh, I'm like uh, pushing 70 years old. Uh, not quite, but, but I'm heading towards there. So when I first went to college at Fresno State, uh, I recall it as a, as a freshman. Uh, I took a communications class. And so we had a topic. And so I ended up writing on, on what I perceived as Asian characters in TV and movies. And so I came up with uh, four characters. Uh, it was easy to write the paper because I think think back to, you know, TV shows or movies that I've seen. And basically, I, I just broke it into four, four categories. And you could think about it today. And so what I'm talking about is like 50 years ago. Okay. Uh, who were the characters uh, or what roles did Asian play back then? Uh, one was the servant. Uh, the servant would be the sidekick. Uh, one of the biggest ones was a very popular uh TV show Bonanza. Bonanza ran for years. You know what I mean? And so Hop Singh was the, the Chinese cook uh, in that show. And that'd be one. Uh, there were other ones uh, involved. He was the main one uh, that sticks out in, in my mind. Okay. Uh, another type of character was the villain. The villain goes back big time. Uh, if you Google like uh, Fu Manchu, uh, Fu Manchu was kind of like uh, a character, I, I think going back to the 1920s, 1930s, uh, they made uh, a series off of him. Generally, what they had was they had a, a white guy uh, that had his eyes made up and, and so forth. Uh, Christopher Lee uh, played Fu Manchu uh, quite a bit. Um, a show I used to watch in the... In the in high school, actually, uh, I don't know if you ever saw it, uh, Hawaii Five-0 with Jack Lord. 
You know, I, I am actually old enough to remember Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> oh, you're giving away your age. You're giving away your age. I, I remember as a, as a young kid, um, vaguely, vaguely uh, remember fi- Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, they had a couple of Asians in the show, but the villain was Wolfat. <laughs> I don't recall, but <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And so the idea of like... Uh, Asian being a, a bad character, it goes back to Japan during World War II, and then after World War II, uh, the specter or the fear of uh, communist China. Uh, so villains would be uh, the third character uh, was the martial artist, and the reason I say the martial artist is like uh, when I was in college, uh, this is the time Bruce Lee uh, was making his movies. Uh, well, the movie that really shot him to fame was Enter the Dragon. But before he made those movies, he had been in American TV shows, uh, The Green Hornet, where he played Cato, uh, which I didn't really watch. But I, I think I saw him in uh, Longstreet. Uh, Longstreet was the blind detective that he he thought some some kicks to or something like that. Um, I guess... Uh, Bruce Lee felt that uh, uh, he couldn't really make it in America. So he went back to Hong Kong and became super famous and I think super marketable. And that opened the door for him, I think, to make Energy Dragon, uh, which basically shot him into the, the atmosphere in, in, in terms of fame. Uh, so martial artist was the other one. And then the last one, uh, and it goes back to the 1960s, the, the world of Susie Wong. Uh, uh, Susie Wong, played by Nancy Kwan, uh, plays a, a prostitute in, in Hong Kong. And so it's the idea of the, the sexy uh, 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 Asian woman. So uh, I think today uh, the media characters are broader. Uh, I think you might still see that, but you see other characters as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, you know, some of this history here is, uh, um, you know, quite storied. I wanted to talk a little bit about another uh, very common stereotype or myth, or I just want to get your take on it because you may have a, a, another opinion, but the idea of the model minority myth, not true, okay. unfair. What are your okay. thoughts? Uh, the for the people that don't really know about it, uh, the model minority myth uh, comes out, starts to develop in the 1960s, going into the 1970s. That, uh, and 1960s is a time period of the, the civil rights movement and so forth. And so the model minority myth is saying like uh, to the African-Americans, uh, to the Latinos, uh, hey, uh, why are you guys protesting? Uh, why don't you be like those nice, quiet Asians, those yellow people over there? They don't rock the boat. You know, they quietly do their work type of thing. Well, there's a big problem with this. And I would say a lot of Asian Americans uh, rebel or criticize uh, that image uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, one reason is it depends on what you want to look at statistically. Okay. If you look at certain statistics, you say, wow, the Asians, uh, 
they have a higher income. Uh, they have a higher education. Well, if you do what they call disaggregate, uh, not all Asians fit into that category. In other words, if they were started looking at like the East Asians, like the Chinese and Japanese, well, uh, especially like South Asians or people from India, do super high. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe the Southeast Asians, like the Hmong and Lao Cambodians, don't score so high. So you balance it out. What I'm getting at, Bernard, is you have wide range among different Asian ethnicities. And even if you take like Chinese, just take all Chinese there. Well, you could say, yes, they have a high percentage of college degrees. You also have a high percentage that haven't have the equivalent of a high school degree if people come over. You know what I mean? So nothing applies to everybody. Uh, it's a very mixed group, and people can emphasize what they want to. Another really bad part about the model minority myth is I feel it's like a chance uh, for people that are, uh, I can't think of another word, but like white racist. I don't, I don't think all white people are racist, but I think certain people are racist. It's easy to like feel like they're pitting one group against another group when it really shouldn't be seen that way. You know what I mean? Because think of this way, Bernard. If you had five kids, I'm, I'm not telling you you have five kids, but if you had five kids, okay, you love all the kids the same. Not all the kids perform at the same level. You know what I mean? And I could tell you, and this is just human nature for everybody, nobody wants to hear, why don't you be like your brother and sister? Well, let's, let's say your older brother. Why don't you be like Tommy? He's doing so well. Well, doesn't it just create tension for people to hear that? Nobody wants to hear that. And the same thing. Whether you don't want to hear it as an individual, you don't want to hear it as a group. You know what I mean? Another problem with the model minority myth, when you focus, oh, the Asians are doing well. They have no problem. You ignore problems that they really do have. Oh, you guys are doing fine. You don't need any help. Well, we need help too. That's what I'm saying. So when you take the model minority, you say, these guys are fine. They don't need anything. This, this is like looking at the total picture. Look at everything. And I think sometimes when people only look at the exterior, they neglect problems. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, you hit on some really important points there. I think there's a lot of tension that's been created through this model minority myth between the Asian American community and the African American community and Latinos as well. Um, you know, this is uh, incredibly problematic, especially if there are Asian communities that are in need and yet their needs go unaddressed simply because people make this assumption that all everybody's Asian, well, everybody's doing well. They're, they're all getting good grades and they're all an economic success and so forth. And, and, you know, as an Asian American studies professor, that's just simply not true. Yeah, it's not true. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to, uh, uh, go off on a tangent here. Um, so uh, I'm just curious your thoughts on um, Amy Chua. I know we've had some discussions in the past in regards to her concept of the tiger mom and, you know, putting all this pressure on, on Asian kids. Like what are your thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, 
like like I didn't read the book, <laughs> so so I'll say it. But the idea of the tiger mom, for me personally, um, I go I go against the idea. You know what I mean? Uh, the reason I, I I go against the idea is yes. If you put expectations, uh, a lot of times kids can rise to the expectation. But I don't think all kids can rise to the expectations that you place on them. And for the kids that don't rise to the expectation, that's undue pressure. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times it has a very negative impact. Uh, let, let me give you an example. If a student feels that they absolutely all the time have to have straight A's, okay? Uh, what if the student doesn't get an A in one class? Why should it bother them that much? What does it really affect? Don't get me wrong. I think all students should try to do their best. If they get a straight A, I say more power to you. But not everybody can. And this is another issue which I think is very unfair for uh, the people that can't. Uh, let me use myself as an example. Uh, I really want to be an NBA player, and you're not laughing, but but you could laugh because I'm too short. <laughs> I know you're a Boston Celtics fan, John. <laughs> you <laughs> wear you wear well. that really <laughs> big that big Boston green Boston Celtics jacket of yours. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing well, but 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 my point is, right? It's it's like I should try to do the best I can, but it doesn't mean I make the cut. I, I think particularly with Asian students, uh, part of the thing is, yes, their parents want them to become a doctor. Well, how many people out of 100 could actually become a doctor? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's less than 10%. It's not 10%, you know, that can make it. And so, gosh, I mean, if you are one of the 5% or 6 or 7, uh, great for you. But should everybody have those unrealistic expectations heaped upon them? Maybe they could be a very good nurse. Maybe they could be a very good school teacher. Why not be a very good school teacher instead of being a doctor? Absolutely. So to, to me, it, it, it really, I, w I would say this, uh, Bernard, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. It, it's, my, my kids are in their 40s now, but before they went to college, uh, this is what I, I told them. So I might have told you the story before. Uh, I told them uh, two things, you know, or so forth. Uh, find something you like and decide if it makes enough money that you're okay with it. That's it. You don't have to be this career uh, or that. Uh, if you find work, that you enjoy, uh, you're a very lucky person. Okay. But, but of course you want to make enough money that you feel you're satisfied, but, uh, who's to say, uh, maybe one person needs a hundred thousand, another person needs 300,000, another one 50,000. It varies with the person. Uh, one person's happiness, uh, is all that matters. He or she does not have to compare themselves 
to other people. So a big part of the, again, I, I didn't read Amy Chua's book. Uh, people should not have to feel like they're in competition with other people. That's can, my point. I completely agree. So if you want to check out Amy Chua's book, it's titled Battle Him of the Tiger Mother. Again, Battle Him of the Tiger Mother, Amy Chua. Um, John, I just want you to um, uh, maybe uh, share with us, if you would, if you don't mind, just some of the um, the discrim- discrimination and prejudice you have faced um, over the years. Um, you know, you've shared some things with me personally. I was just wondering if you could share with our audience uh, some examples of just some of the prejudice that you've had to deal with. Um. Uh, that, that, that question kind of like stumped me for, for a minute. I would say in terms of direct in your face discrimination, uh, not so much. I, I think that discrimination would be more kind of like a subtle discrimination, uh, placed on you because, uh, you're the Asian person type, type of thing. So I wouldn't say it's directly you effing Chinaman or type of thing like that. You know what I mean? Um, I, I did recall one, one time uh, somebody in our division, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say names in there, you know, uh, did use the word Chinaman uh, is at a social gathering. Uh, guess what I responded? Did I respond? For you. <laughs> Do you I, think I responded? I would hope so. Uh, no, I, I, I basically uh, didn't didn't say anything uh, in regards to that. You know what I mean? So uh, you didn't say anything. No, it surprises you. Um, I mean, knowing you all these years, I mean, not really. Um, I, I mean, I, I always have seen you as just like a cool, calm, collected kind of person. Um, and, uh, it seems like it would take a lot to kind of get you heated or agitated, <laughs> agitated. Uh, well, part, part of the thing is, is, is this, uh, let, let, let me share with the audience. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure the, the audience for our thing. I'm, I'm assuming it's students, uh, for people that don't know, uh, Bernard and myself, uh, uh, we're in martial arts. And, and and being in the, the martial arts, uh, if I had to think of think about it, um, I feel that we have to have more restraint than the average person. It's a good point. You know what I mean? And the reason we have to have more restraint, uh, for me, it deals with power. That martial arts give you a certain power. I'm I'm not talking about superpower, but say ability. You know what I mean? to hurt other people. And I'm not saying we go out and hurt other people, but you have an ability. Okay. And so with the ability, there's a kind of like a morality involved. And so for me, the morality is, um, I don't want to do anything. If it's just verbal. That said, you know what I mean? Because I think when we cross that line, uh, there's no return. You can't back out of it. You know what I mean? So, uh, and and I 
tell students at my martial arts school uh, just last week, you know what I mean? When uh, uh, soon was mentioned that uh, people at work called him a chink, and that really bothered him a lot, you know what I mean? And so uh, he asked me what I, what I do in that situation. Um, I basically said, well, uh, if I could walk away, that's my responsibility just to walk away. You know what I mean? Uh, on the other hand, uh, if a person touched me, you know, uh, then I think everything's off the board. Uh, they've crossed the line themselves. 100%. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. You know, I always tell, I I tell my students the same thing. I tell my friends and, you know, my son, uh, you know, whatever somebody says to you, it really doesn't matter. Um, If they put their hands on you, it's a, you know, all bets are off, but whatever insults in regards to uh, your race, your ethnicity, it really doesn't matter. You know who you are, you're comfortable with who you are. That's all that, that really matters. Um, I, Uh, yeah, go ahead, John. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, on the other hand, it, what I want to say is this doesn't mean uh, I want to be totally quiet about everything. You know what I mean? Uh, what I mean by totally quiet about everything, uh, I'm participating uh, in, uh, in, in something on this Thursday, uh, Stand with Asians. Uh, it's a table talk uh, from... 5.30 to 7 o'clock. Uh, I hope you can uh, attend. You know what I mean? Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things. Uh, a couple of things I was going to talk about. Uh, and I, I actually like to, to share uh, with your students. Please do. Is the, the Vincent Chin case and the more recent thing with uh, uh, Representative uh, uh, Chip Roy. You know what I mean? So can you just talk about those two right now? Absolutely. I was going to ask you anyway, but yes, please. Okay. Um, I want to talk about Vincent Chen uh, because I talk about him in pretty much uh, my introduction class. Uh, uh, He's covered in the social issues class. And when I've uh, talked before your class uh, in American studies, I always bring him up. Uh, So Vincent Chen's story is in the 1980s. Uh, he was an orphan uh, from China, so his mom adopted him, uh, brought him over the country, and so his mom and dad raised him up from a very young child uh, into adulthood. Uh, his father passed away, and so Vincent's in his 20s, uh, living with mom. Uh, he's planning to get married, okay, uh, with Vicky, and so... Uh, they were going to move in with the mom uh, afterwards. And so I imagine that uh, when Vicky and uh, Vincent had children, uh, his mom would have been very happy to help watch their grandkids. Okay. Um, so Vincent decided to go out to uh, kind of like a topless bar. It's kind of like a bachelor party with a white friend, Chinese friend. And so this is in the early 1980s. Uh, when they went to the bar, there were two unemployed white auto workers uh, Ron Evans and his stepson, Michael Nitz. Uh, anyway, they made some comments at uh, at Vincent that uh, he didn't like. Uh, what were the comments? Uh, one of the dancers testified, uh, Ron Evans said, because of you motherfuckers, we're out of work. Well, I could say this, Bernard. If, if you repeat that sentence, 
it's hard not to say it with anger. You know what I mean? In other words, a person is just angry when they say it. Uh, and if you think about that statement for a moment, did these two men know Vincent Chin? The answer is no. Did Vincent Chin work in the auto industry? Answer, no. He worked as a draftsman and on weekends he worked at a Chinese restaurant. So he did not work in the auto industry and these two men blamed him. So remember earlier I talked about scapegoating and so they're scapegoating him. Yes. Uh, why are they scapegoating him? Well, back in the 1980s, the Japanese car companies were selling cars. So if you're making American cars and you feel, gee, we're not getting work because the Japanese are selling cars, you're angry at Japanese, right? Okay. So Vincent responded. They got into a fist fight. They were kicked out of the bar. The two men went to their car. Uh, Rod Evans pulled a baseball bat out of his trunk. He wanted to continue the fight. Uh, Vincent was okay with fighting, but not if they had a baseball bat. So he took off running. His, his, his friends, they took off. The two men, they hired a local person in the neighborhood. Drive us around. We want to find Vincent Chin. So they found him. They found him at a McDonald's parking lot. The younger man hailed Vincent Chin, while the older man wielded the bat, struck him in the head at least two times. Two Detroit police officers were nearby enough. They ran up. They pulled their guns out. Stop. And stopped. They called 911. Ambulance came out. Ambulance driver looked at Vincent, sprawled on the ground. He's a goner. His skull is cracked. You can see part of his brain. They took him to the hospital. But Vincent was brain dead. They had hooked him up to machines. So the doctors told his mom, if we turn off the machine, he's going to die. The brain has no activity. We're just keeping his body alive. So they turned off the machine. The two men plea bargained. They plea bargained to manslaughter. Okay. Uh, unreal. Just, just uh, abs absolutely unreal. Okay. The two men plea bargained. The judge gave them a sentence of $3,000 fine and probation. Okay. Let's back up a little bit. I basically see that crime as first-degree murder because there was premeditation. They went looking for him. They had the bat. It's not like, surprise, oh, you did it right there. You're planning something. You know that if you hit somebody in the head with a baseball bat, what do you expect is going to happen? You know what I mean? Okay. So, going back to this, they made a film. And they interviewed quite a few people. And the judge was interviewed. I'm pretty sure he's passed away now. And in the film, the judge says, if it had been a brutal murder, of course he's got to be in jail. I have a question for that judge. Hey, Mr. Judge. If somebody held your son, restrained him, and another person took a baseball bat to his head, hit him a couple times, would that be a brutal murder? We all know the judge is going to say, yes, it's a brutal murder. It's the idea that 
hey, it's other people. Maybe people should think, what if it's me? How would you feel? Type of thing. Anyway, okay. So there's a concept in American law called double jeopardy, meaning that a person cannot be tried for the same crime twice. So two men had plea bargained already. Okay. So the federal government got involved because the Asian community was very upset. And they formed the American Citizens for Justice. And this is across the board, meaning that it wasn't just Asian people. There's other people of color, white people. Everybody support their movement. This is before they had the term hate crime. When does the term hate crime come up? In the 1980s, when this happened, saying that you're doing something out of racial animus. Okay. And so the two men were now tried for a hate crime. Okay. Uh, the jury convicted them. Okay. Uh, their attorneys made an appeal. And on the appeal, it was reversed. Uh, I think some technicality. So the two men did not have to serve time in jail. Uh, how did this impact people? Well, for Vince's mom, she had to leave the country because she didn't want to stay and think about it. Her son's life uh, and the killers are being freed every day. Uh, Toyota or Japanese car companies start making cars in America. Uh, I could say for myself and a lot of people, uh, pretty sure for you as well, Bernard, that that's inconceivable. It's unimaginable. We cannot conceive. As a parent, the last thing we want to see is our child die before us. That's the last thing we want to see. Absolute last. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then add to this that if a parent has to endure that to know that there's no justice for the child that's murdered, for the child that's killed, that there's a fine and probation. Like I don't have a dog, but if I did have a dog and I tied up the dog, beat the German shepherd's head in with a baseball bat, and that scene, I'm going to jail. I know that. And so, as a person, in the 1980s, uh, when I found out about this trial, it really hit me. And why it hit me is this concept, that Asian life is cheap. Think back to the model minority, you know, Look at all the Asian people, their parents tell them, Johnny, be a good boy. Go to school. Listen to the teacher. Work hard. Don't complain. Things will come your way. And then Johnny thinks, but my life's not worth very much. That's the message I'm getting. And this is because of the modern minority. And this is like, People were surprised that Asian people protested. Think about recently, of all the attacks on Asian people, you know what I mean? Uh, why are the Asians protesting? Don't you have things well? Well, it's almost like this, Bernard. 
and this is why I want to participate in the Stand with Asians on Thursday. Uh, I was telling one of the other panelists, we have to speak up. If we don't speak up, everybody feel that they're very free to dump whatever trash they want on us. So basically, shut up and take it. You know what I mean? And so, so you could you could sense there's a certain anger and sadness at the same time. It really should not be like that, because because I really believe that we're all the same, whether you're a white person, a black person, a Hispanic person, Asian person, Native American person. All our lives are valuable. Everybody's life is valuable. Everybody's parent as a child, that's so valuable. How can you put down one person more than yourself? They're the same as you. And and so my point is on Vintage Chin is that let's respect each other as human beings. You know, that's kind of like, like a message uh, from that part. Um, on the recent things with, uh, they had like a anti-Asian hearing in Washington, D.C. And I saw this a little bit about this and also on the news. Uh, a representative, uh, Chip Roy from Texas, uh, he made some, some comments. So I'll, uh, I guess I'll comment on his comments. Uh, one comment was the bad people and he's referring to Chinese Communist Party. Well, I would throw this back at him. Uh, it's easy to call bad people or to refer to people bad people. And do people really distinguish whether they're from China or whether they're from here or whether they're anti-communist? I would say no. Do people distinguish like one Asian from another Asian? I would say no. You know what I mean? So when you say that, you know, refer to as, as one, they see them, see other people as different. And that's what allows them to do such brutality. You yourself know that being of American Indian descent, Native American, in the past, it's so easy to tell, oh, these people are savages. You know what I mean? So do whatever you want. You could kill them. They're not the same as us. Whether they should look at, well, that's a husband, that's a wife, that's a parent, that's a child. Those are relationships that I have. People to say, those people's lives are just as valuable as my life. I think that's how people should think in regards to life. Okay, so that's one part with the bad Chinese party. He made reference to lynching. Oh, we could lynch the bad guys. Well, this is a affront, an insult to African Americans who have suffered lynching. Two of the Asian representatives, Grace Meng of New York and Ted Lu from uh, California, Grace says, you're putting a bullseye on the back of young Asian people and, and old people and grandparents. They're Asian people, you know what I mean? Continuing the, the China virus type of thing. Ted Liu claimed out or cried out, I'm not a virus. Why are we blamed like that? And so, kind of like, 
coming back to this with the lynching, one of the biggest lynchings uh, that was Chinese, 1871. 19 Chinese were killed in this riot. 15 were lynched. Not really lynched because they were dead, but they were hung up, hung from lampposts. You know, so is that something to be proud of? And I would ask, and nobody knows the answer, were these 15 men that were hung, what crime did they commit? I don't think they committed any crime besides being Chinese. That was their crime. So when the mob's angry, if you're that group, we're going to deal with justice. Well, another thing uh, to argue for, uh, freedom of speech. I should be able to say whatever I want. Okay? Part of the Constitution? Well, what about the 14th Amendment? The amendment that we're all supposed to be equal under the law, that we should be treated equally. Isn't that a crucial part of the Constitution? So I would say to Representative uh, Roy, uh, decide what you think is more important. Do you want to create an America which is seen as equal or trying to treat all its people the same? This would be Bernard. Think about the example I said, five kids. If you had five kids, you loved them all the same, each of them different, you might handle one child different from another child, but they're all, they're like the fingers on your hand. We don't want to lose any finger, whether it's the thumb, the index finger, ring finger, so on, type, type of thing. So I would say create a society that treats all individuals all groups the same, that they feel it's a fair society. Let me finish with a phone call. I had a phone call from my son Sunday, a couple of days ago. So he's been living and working in China for about three years now. Okay. And so we talked about regular stuff. Uh, regular stuff meaning work, uh, exercise, uh, COVID. And towards the end of the call, uh, my son told me, uh, be careful. Uh, look around. You know what I mean? My son's basically cautioning me because of what he's seeing on the news, on the internet. What image do they have in Asia? America is a dangerous place for Asians. That's not the image we want of our country. Yeah, John. Um, well, first of all, I'm just really glad we were able to have this conversation. You know, this time last year, right when we were about ready to go into shelter in place and, um, you know, some of my Asian American students were already starting to feel the insults, right? And they were coming to me with uh, some situations that they had found themselves in. And so I could kind of see this coming, you know, this time last year. And obviously, you know, you look at the reports, you know, some of the, the recent FBI reports in regards to um, hate crimes against Asians, they've really jumped in the last 12 months, 12, 13 months. Um, uh, but uh, another comment an Asian student of mine made recently kind of, um, brings it back to one of your earlier points that, you know, 
you know, this idea of the model minority that Asians just have it really good and there isn't any problems. And this Asian student said, you know, we, our issues are always ignored and it's almost like we don't matter. Like we don't experience racism. We don't experience economic struggles. We don't experience, you know, hatred on the part of people who think that, um, we're foreigners, even if we're born here, even if we speak English, even if we're Americanized, it doesn't really matter. Our, our issues don't matter. And it just really, it broke my heart when I, I, I read this post, um, that my, my student, um, commented on, on an assignment in one of my classes. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this discussion. Um, I, I, I often feel that, um, the Asian community, is viewed in, in a certain way, um, a very stereotypical way. And it's almost as if we've, uh, kind of perfected kind of the art of dehumanization. Right. And we just see Asian people as, as statistics or numbers or a caricature, not real as real human beings, um, who have, um, uh, these really ex- horrible experiences with, uh, prejudice and racism. Um, and so I just wanted to, um, kind of get your, your, your thoughts on this past year and, um, what you see in the future and what you're, you're hoping for in terms of, of change. Uh, well, I think this last year, uh, has been a very trying year. Uh, I think, uh, a big part of it deals with COVID, uh, Definitely, like, like I think uh, a part of uh, uh, calling it as the China virus because uh, people warned about this uh, a year ago. Uh, don't blame it. Uh, it's very interesting. I I felt uh, like yeah, about two weeks ago uh, before uh, President Biden announced the passage of his $1.9 trillion, uh, bill that he's pushing for, uh, Donald Trump uh, issued a statement that uh, he wanted credit uh, for the vaccine, and he referred to it as COVID-19, and parentheses, uh, often referred to as the China virus. And my comment or thought was, you're the only one that calls it China virus. I mean, okay, some of your supporters call it China virus as well. You know what I mean? But if you talk about other national leaders, other countries, uh, you're not going to refer to it solely as the China virus. I think that plays a part of this. I think things really came out uh, with the the model minority. Uh, I think the attack on Asian people uh, totally unwarranted. Uh, I'm well. I've seen that video multiple times uh, that they're going to show on uh, our event on Thursday, uh, where there's a elderly Thai man uh, in his 80s uh, in San Francisco. Uh, that you see somebody run up, almost like bum rushes them, pushes them to the ground, and then leaves. Well, you know, I, and I think they might try him as murder. I, I don't want to ask. I don't know. I'm thinking that the person pushed it, wanted to hurt the man. I don't think necessarily, you know, oh, he's going to die. You know what I mean? So it's different than if you took a gun and shot him in the head type of thing. You know what I mean? But it, 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 it's like, Bernard, I almost want to like slap people and say, wake up. Think about what you're doing. 
think about what you're saying. You know what I mean? Words count. Your actions have repercussions. Do you really want to go that far? You know what I mean? Uh, they had a picture of a Burmese man uh, who got stitches because he was stabbed in the face. All these acts of violence, you're basically done to people you have no idea who they are. You don't know their name at all. You know? And so if you're doing this as a reaction to something, think about your thinking. You know, why are you targeting these people? You know what I mean? And I think it's really good. Uh, I encourage the, the other panelists on our thing. Just speak how you feel. Because here's the issue of being like the model minority. Um, we don't speak out enough. We don't speak out to complain. You know what I mean? Uh, you've known me enough and, 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 and you've heard me complain already. <laughs> so, so at a certain level, like, like, you know, <laughs> you know, I do complain. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure, John, I have complained much more to you <laughs> than you okay, have okay, to okay. me. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's relative. But, but, but my point is, Bernard, again, I, I would say this would be a message for your students, for, for all people. Uh, let's really, let's just try to respect each other as people, see other people as similar to us, not exactly the same as us, it doesn't matter, but that our value is the same. That if I, well, my parents have passed away, but if I value my, if I value my children, it's the same as you value your children. It's the same as anybody values their children. You know what I mean? And, and, and really it's, it's, uh, I, I would say, uh, Sometimes uh, Asian people really need to speak up. Uh, like that statement I says, uh, sometimes we're, we're just too quiet. Uh, sometimes we have to speak up. Uh, say this is not right. And, and on that, uh, uh, that's just how it is. We have to say uh, this is wrong. That, that's, that's the message I want to say. Uh, the only person you have to really be comfortable with is yourself. If you are comfortable with your thoughts and actions, that's good enough. Well said, John. Well said. Well, I, I just want to say thank you um, for joining me today and sharing some of your thoughts on these issues and these topics. I know that um, you know the Asian community right now is going through a lot with uh, the rise in, in um, hate crimes. Um, and uh, I know my students are concerned, uh, so I wanted to have this conversation. Uh, there were a lot of different topics that originally I wanted to get into, but I'm hoping that we could do this again. Um, sure. And maybe we can uh, come back uh, uh, to the table and we can have another discussion and uh, maybe get into the dynamics uh, in the Asian American community, the different groups you have, you know, Southeast Asians, obviously a large group of, uh, Hmong refugees who arrived here in the seventies and the eighties. Maybe we can come back and we can talk about that a little bit. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. 
Um, Renard, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you students, but uh, um, I, I consider you a, a, a good friend and colleague of, of mine at Fresno City College. So, so I'll always be happy to come speak to your class. Absolutely. Well, this this conversation that we have here will uh, is going to be sent out to um, our my students, um, and it'll also uh, be sent out to others who want to uh, listen to this discussion that we we had today. Um, but again, I just want to uh, thank you. You know, you've been a good friend to me for a lot of years now, um, and uh, whenever I've um, done anything on campus, whenever I've done. Um, really anything that I've talked to you about, you've always been very, very supportive. So I, I appreciate your hard work and, uh, I really look forward to uh, coming back and having another discussion and I will definitely be there on Thursday, uh, to support. Is there anything yeah. else that you would like to, to say in regards to our discussion today? Uh, well, I guess this is kind of like a, a general thing. Um, I think for students in general, uh, Think about things. Uh, just think about things. Uh, you don't have to say uh, my way is, is, is the right way. Uh, I think everybody should reflect on things uh, to see how they see it. Uh, and this way, I, I think it lends them to a greater understanding of themselves and who they are. And, and I think that's always a plus. And for young people, uh, uh, this is a good time to develop uh, who you really are so think about things and then this creates part of your uh, your character uh, personality uh, a lot of things we we talk about uh, uh, Bernard and, and myself uh, normally if in the classroom I, I would say Mr. Navarro or Dr. Navarro <laughs> but since we're, we're talking to together it's hard for me to call you Dr. Navarro I, I just have to talk to you because I'm talking to you guys Bernard but you know if, if it's with other people I've, I would call you Dr. Navarro but uh, I I think uh, Bernard and, and myself uh, we're teachers uh, we want the students to, to think about things and this is for us to, to do our job. And that's a, a really great, that's a really great way to end uh, this discussion. And I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, we all could do some reflecting on, you know, our, our actions, our, our thoughts, things that we say, um, the, the stereotypes that we promote. Um, these are all things that I think uh, we should re be reflective on. So, um, again, John, uh, this has been a um, really good experience. Uh, I look forward to um, having another discussion with you. I think we'll, we'll come back and do, do this again during Asian American Month, which is in April. It's a week away. I know it's not the typical Asian American Month at Fresno it's State May. College. <laughs> oh, it's May. It's May. Is it May? Yeah, it's May. Yeah, it's May. Yeah. Um, excuse me. It's May. So I know it's, it won't be the typical year at Fresno city college. Um, but I do want to come back and talk a little bit about the history of, um, um, Asian fest at, at Fresno city college and the different uh, participation that you get from our Asian community. But, uh, we're going to go ahead and call it, uh, a day here for this episode. And, um, we'll be back again, John, again, I'm much appreciated. Um, you know, I value your friendship more than you, you would ever know. So I appreciate everything that you've done for me and for the college and our, our local community here. Uh, 
Bernard, uh, thanks a lot for the nice words. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my brother. We'll be talking soon. Okay. Bye.